Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Good morning, everybody. My name is Jeff, and I'm your, I'm the sexaholic. Yeah. I'm your leader for this meeting. The topic is core defect recovery, working steps four and five in our daily lives. Please join me in this serenity in a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can. And wisdom to know the difference. Thy will not mine be done. Amen. Can I remind you that this is a tape meeting, and in the spirit of the twelfth step, uh, in the spirit of the twelfth step, the tape recorder will not be turned off. If you do not wish to be recorded, we suggest that you choose another meeting at which to share, or feel free to simply listen at this meeting. At this time, I would like to introduce our speaker, who is Carl, who will share his experience, strength, and hope for approximately 10 minutes on our topic. Well, good morning. My name is Carl, and i um, glad to be here. I'm re- recovering from lust. My uh, sobriety date is May 2000, and uh, this is my second international conference. My other one was in Newark when we were here prior. Um, and uh, what I'd like to try to talk about today, um, there's so many things I'd like to say, so I want to use the time wisely. Uh, how many of you have worked step four or five or four and five? Okay. How many of you have done that work, say, from a format that you know from the big book? Okay. Well, that's good. Then I'm sort of preaching to the choir. But uh, some of what I've learned is that in the white book, there's not a lot of material that tells us how to do the steps. So what I, my experience has been that early in my own recovery, what I was doing was just uh, not acting out and going to meetings, but I really wasn't changing and I really wasn't getting better. And in the early steps, in one, two, and three, it tells us a, a couple of brief things. It tells us first that we, we're different than other people. The big book tells us that we have a, a, a physical and a mental condition which blocks us from God. And we have to understand what our disease is about and how it operates in order for us to understand that we need a solution, which is a power greater than ourselves. And step two introduces us to our solution. And it tells us that we will stop being and acting crazily or insanely if we can get this power into our life. And what sanity means to me today is simply that I can see the truth about my addiction. That the next time I want to look at something or do something that's going to take me back into lust, I need to turn to that power that won't do, that will help me not do that. And then if I can gain enough access to that power, perhaps I can turn over to step three. And step three is going to tell me a couple things. It's going to tell me that I need to turn my will in my life over to the care of the power I found in step two. My will is my thinking and my life is my actions. So basically I'm going to turn over everything I am to that power. But you know what? I'm going to stay stuck at step three if I don't begin to look at the defects of character that work down real real low down in here in my gut and in my head, I'm just going to do the same things over and over. And I think they call that, what, insanity, doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. So I don't want to stay crazy in my life. This program affords me an opportunity to find a power and to work the steps so that I can undermine my disease. Now, Roy, when he talks about lust, he talks about lust and he defines it in the white book. And what he basically says is lust is defined as an attitude demanding that a natural instinct serve unnatural desires. And if any of you have been attracted to lust as long as I have, and that's somewhere from the age of under 10, I know once I got my first hit, I was off. And I'm 50 this year, 
So that's a lot of decades of being attracted and enamored and under the power of lust. So I needed a really big power to change that. But I needed to know what was driving me inside. Now, the big book makes us look at a couple of things. It helps us to look at resentments. And a resentment basically is to refeel the same thing over and over and over and over again. So let's say I'm angry at Sandy from fourth grade. And in fourth grade, say I'm 10 years old. So I've been harboring these feelings for 40 years. So there's no way I'm going to have good feelings about Sandy or anyone else that I'm resentful toward. Four step also helps us to look at fears. Um, fears of what I might not get and fears of what I might lose. Okay, so things that are out there I'm not going to get my hand on, things that I have that I want to hold on to. So I'm working in fear way out there and way in here. And those things are going to be blocks to God working in my life. The other thing that the big book helps us to look at is our sex relations and how they've impacted our life. It also helps us to look at harms we've caused to others that are not sex-related. Now, has anyone here been harmed by anyone else? <laughs> and do you know, remember how that feels to be harmed? But has anyone here harmed anyone else? Yeah, now the hands go up like two at a time. That's powerful information. And if that's all in here, guess what? God can't work. And you really haven't made an effective step three decision if resentments, fears, harms, sex relations, and even regrets. The big book talks about something called regrets. And regrets we look at through the four-step lens of harms against myself, things that I didn't do. I didn't get married. I didn't have kids. I didn't finish college. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Those things can also work against you and undermine your recovery. So if I want to take this into everyday life, I have to understand, A, what's wrong with me in step one. I need to find that power in step two. I need to turn my will and my life over to that power in step three. Every day, I have to remind myself when I wake up what my situation is. And then every day in step 10, if you fast forward to step 10, it says that I'm going to continue to take personal inventory. And when I'm wrong, I'm going to promptly admit it. That's sort of a mini step four through nine every day. Now, I can't do that if I haven't done it somewhere in my life. Now, from the show of hands before, it appears that most of you have tackled step four. But this is an ongoing process. It's not something that you want to do just once, put the stake in the ground and say, I'm done. This is something that you want to continue to do. Because new things come to mind, old hurts, old wounds, old relationships, things like that. So on an everyday basis, you need to continue to look at these things. And you're going to do that in steps 6 and 7, in steps 8 and 9, in steps 10, 11, and 12, in your meditation in the morning, in your prayer, in your contact with God. God's going to call to mind things that you've done, repairs you need to go out and make, harms you need to fix resentments you need to address. Does that all make sense? So I'm not talking off the wall here. So the book I want to recommend, if you don't own this book, I strongly want to recommend that you pick up a big book. Um, I, there may be tapes out here that would help you with some guidance through the step work. Um, I can talk to you after the meeting about specific books that might or might not be conference approved if you want some other insights into things of how you can move forward. Are there any... Um, Am I clear at this point? Um, can we turn it over now to people who want to share? Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Carl. Um, we will now open the floor for sharing because our common welfare comes first. Here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. If you wish to speak, please wait to be recognized by me. Actually, that's not right. Um, you, you can form a line uh, to the microphone. Um, please keep your sharing to two to three minutes, uh, allowing everyone to share his or her experience. Um, and please stay close to the microphone and speak into the microphone, about as far away from the microphone as I am right now. Uh, and uh floor is open. Good morning, my name is Peter. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Uh, not only the old wrongs that I've done and the old resentments and fears, uh, 
as they come to mind, I have to work on, but also the new ones, the new fears, new resentments, and I have to use the same format that he was referring to. And they all bring me to the last column, uh, you know, in regard to this person, this uh, interaction, where have I been selfish? Uh, you know, what what need of mine has been threatened? And if a need of mine gets threatened, then I get angry or I get fearful or I wrong somebody. And I've just become more and more aware of doing this every day, you know, especially in relation to my family and my wife, that uh, the core of my problem is that I'm just selfish. And selfishness really, for me, is fear. I can't think of being selfish without being afraid. Selfish, I want something I don't have, and I'm afraid I won't get it. If I'm selfish, I want to keep and hold on to something I have, and I'm afraid someone's going to get it from me. So I've just become aware that God wants to take my selfishness from me. And when I was younger, I thought, well, he wants to take my selfishness from me, so I'm never going to get anything. I'm never going to be happy. I have to go into austerity. And in the program, working the steps, what I've come to experience is he wants to take selfishness from me because selfishness is fear. And I can't have uh, God to me as love. I can't have love in my life and at the same time have fear. So now I just see that God is, you know, it's a loving thing he's asking me to do in the steps. The steps are just a loving way of freeing me from fear and resentment. And I really have experienced, you know, brief periods of where he wants to lead me. And that is free of concerns of myself. So I can have a fear-free and a resentment-free life. And the more I get that, the more I realize that I can't be of service unless I'm free of fear and resentment. And when I am, then God can use me as the instrument he made me. And then, then life really does become happy, joyous, and free. So to me, the fourth step, not just historically cleaning up the past, but working on every day, on every resentment, every fear to keep that channel clean has just been a blessing in my life, particularly in my marriage. Thank you. Hi, I'm Bob. I'm a recovering sexaholic. And one of the things that the fourth step has helped me to do is to look at my resentments and see them in black and white. And I've got uh, a real history in the past of being resentful, especially for people at work. And mostly it's because, like was shared earlier, about the fear that I'm not going to get what I want. And oftentimes I've found, as I looked at it, that I'm unwilling to actually say what I want. And I typically have just given that power over to other people that I work for and just say, well, you know, you give me what you think is right. You be responsible for me. You take charge of me. You tell me what to do. My job is to do it. And your job is to is to give me what I want, even though I'm not willing to tell you what it is. And one of the things that I've learned is that I have options now. I have the option to say what I want. I have the option to say, this is the salary that I want. I have the option to look and see, hey, this is what somebody in my position earns, and show that to them. And then it's up to them to decide whether they're going to pay me that or not. Then I have the option to either stay or to go. In the past, though, I would let these things just fester inside of me, and I just replay them over and over again. I want this. I want that. I'm, I worth, I'm worth this. I'm worth that. I'm not getting it. And because I'm a people pleaser, oftentimes I wouldn't say that I'm upset or disappointed. And what happens is they start to realize they can ask me to do things, they can ask me to do more, and I will do it. And I will because I like to help people. I like to help out. Um, but I'm not willing to exchange and use my power to say, well, I'm willing to do this. What are you willing to do for me? Because I also have a, a general fear of rejection, that if I tell them what I want, they're going to say, there's the door. And um, I actually have a history that in the, in the past, one job that I did work at, I mentioned to somebody that I was thinking about you know, making a career move. And I mentioned this to my boss over lunch. And he told me, well, you're either in or you're out. And uh, you know, I was newly married. This is my first job out of the service. And I said, well, I thought to myself, well, I've already kind of played my cards that I'm not happy here. I need to be honest. Okay, well, then I'm out. And I basically just gave up my job, started crying, walking around New York City, you know, just sobbing, thinking, what am I going to do now? Um, and one of the things that that hurt did to me is I said, you know what, I'm not going to tell people what I want anymore. Because if I tell them, there's a chance that I'm going to get fired. But now that I, even, even now as I say that, I didn't get fired. He gave me the option. Do I want to stay or do I want to leave? But I automatically defaulted to, oh, and I fired myself essentially, I guess. Um, and... That's been a pattern in my life that I'll get to jobs like that. I'll just resent, resent, resent. And then after a while, you know what? It'll get to the point where I can't hold it in anymore. And I'll come in and I'll give them an ultimatum. And that doesn't, that, in my history, that hasn't gone over real well. Uh, because then I get the other side of it, which is basically, okay, you know, you're not working out. And when I, what I realize now is that I surprise them. Because day in and day out, I got the smile on. I'm there on time. I do what I'm supposed to do. And then all of a sudden when they say, look, I'm not happy, it's like, gee, where did this come from? 
And I've realized, too, as I look around that I see the people that are happiest at work are the ones that are kind of the squeaky wheels. They say, do this, and they start to complain about it. And they say, okay, well, never mind, you don't have to do it. But for some reason, I don't want to complain. You know, I think, well, the good guy doesn't complain. I want to be, and probably it's a lot of my just family of origin stuff that, you know, you're supposed to just do what you're told and take no for an answer. That's a, that's a lesson that I have definitely ingrained. If somebody says no, that's the answer, shut up, and just, that's it, the discussion's over. But I've learned that uh, I have the option to say, well, no, and negotiate with people and then get more of what I want. And it's uh, slowly, I mean, it, things are getting better with me. I had a situation at work where I went in and talked to the big boss, the CEO, and I said, you know, i like to earn this much money next year. I said, I'd like to earn $120,000. And I had done the research, and he basically said, no. You know, you're going to keep your salary. You're going to sell more. You'll get the commissions. That'll make up the difference. That'll be okay. And I said, okay. So I've been working on that. He's promised to help me. He's already blown me off like six times in the last couple of days. Um, but I have options now. I don't feel as trapped as I used to be. And just being able to come and share at meetings is one of the things to help these get these things off my chest, get them out into the light, and the healing's taking place. And I owe that to my higher power and to the fellowship. Thanks for letting me share. I'm Mark. I'm a sexaholic. For me, as I'm doing my fourth, I'm realizing that there's two main core defects, uh, fear and dishonesty. For me, it's fear of both rejection and conflict, and I believe that goes way back into my childhood rejection as a young kid. Maybe I wasn't cool enough or tough enough or whatever, and, you know, kids don't want to be misfits, so that fear led to dishonesty. I would play the class clown or, or do whatever it was to please the surrounding people so that I could fit in. Um, the fear of rejection is, uh, and the fear of conflict has come up a lot in my marriage. Um, before my wife and I started working the steps, we would basically be dishonest with each other. I wouldn't tell her exactly how I felt and how something was affecting me. And in essence, I wasn't giving her a chance to um, be loving fully towards me because I was cutting off the chance of uh, a conflict before that. And all of this stuff led to resentment, which eventually leads to acting out. And I know now that I can't afford resentments in my life. And I'm grateful that, you know, as I'm doing my fourth, I'm starting to understand and recognize as a resentment is even starting that I can't be fearful of any conflict that's going to arise around that. And I can't be dishonest around that. I have to quickly work through it and eliminate it before it causes me or triggers the allergic reaction that will cause me to act out. Thanks. Hi, I'm Sandy. I'm a sexaholic. And uh, looking at the list this morning, I thought core defects, this was going to be like kind of a trauma thing. And one of the things I... At the conference today, I wanted to hear fourth step. So here I'm here, my higher power took care of me, and um, we're talking about the fourth step. But for me... Um, I um, I don't like talking in front of people, so hold on. Uh, but anyways, um, for me, my life, when I was growing up, I was victimized a lot. And I felt very co- comfortable being a victim. And right now, I'm very comfortable in my own skin most of the time because I realize I have choices. And I realize everything I do is I have a choice. Um, recently, I just had a business dealing where um, it cost me some money. I could walk around going that other guy is an SOB and this guy this and this guy that. I made a choice to settle with him. And my life is choices, and I make my own choices. And I stick by my choices. I can make a mistake, but I stick that it's my choice. I am not a victim anymore. And um, I try not to be – if I'm victimized, I try to make that not happen. But um, so that leaves – in my life, a little bit more serenity. Thanks. Hi, I'm Tom, a sexaholic. Um, this is interesting. I really appreciate people share so far because, you know, your experience, strength, and hope is really meaningful to me. Um, I started a fourth step over the summer with my sponsor, who's a great guy. He's uh, a big book guy, um, and he's, uh, I love him. He's just a great guy. And I had to put it down. I had to put it down for a while because I was coming up so hard against my resentments that it was uh, really emotionally triggering for me. I'd be interested in hearing from people how they dealt with this. Um, I'll get more specific, too, because I want to lead my weakness. Um, you know, I, I work in a career where I stare at a, a computer screen all day, and I make good money doing it. But 
just looking at a computer all day is so triggering to me. Um, and I have tried to change jobs, and you know, usually the response is, well, um, you know, you you've been making X at this job, and as soon as your field opens up a bit more, you'll jump out of this job and go over there. And I also have uh, expenses that um, are related to my wife's health, and I end up having a huge resentment towards her. Uh, you know, and I, I obviously am unwilling, therefore, to accept uh, accept the uh, responsibility that I took when I when I married her. Um, and none of these things are these other people's faults, but I feel very much pigeonholed pigeonholed into a role that I can't break out of, and I'm unwilling to unwilling to release that role. Uh, I heard from a fellow last night who lost his job uh, because of what he did at work, and he showed amazing strength of being willing to. Get, lose lose this important role that he had, even to the extent that he lost his uh, his economic status. He had to sell his house and everything else. And I sat there just amazed at, at how sanguine he was about it, at how he really found some serenity about it. I ran up against those kinds of fears when I was doing my fourth step and found myself unwilling, I suppose projecting to the sixth and seventh, unwilling to really get through these because I didn't want to let them go. So I'd be interested in hearing from people how they managed through that process. Um, I know this is something fundamentally I have to do, uh, and my sponsor has been very good to me, and he basically said, keep working on what you're able to do, um, one day at a time, progress, not perfection. Thanks very much. Morning. Matt, Texaholic. I was prompted to get up after the last share because I'm right in the midst of uh, that situation. Um, I've done a step four, and I... Starting to get a good handle on you know, my core defects, and it's fear and uh, resentment. Uh, this Monday, I got a call from my boss who said he's had a meeting with the CEO and they were going to eliminate my position due to lack of performance. And uh, I have a five week old baby at home. And, um, you know, a couple of things it hurt. Um, my pride, I'd never been fired before. Um, Kind of in the back of my head, I thought I was going to eventually get fired for looking at pornography um, on the work laptop, but for some reason, they never saw that, thank God. Um, but I was fired nonetheless for lack of performance, and part of that was probably because I was sometimes looking at pornography. Um, when I heard my, I, was, I have a home office, so I heard my uh, my baby crying in the background, um, and I'm while my boss is telling me this, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And uh, I got off the phone with them, and the first thing I did is I got on my knees and I prayed, and I, I really focused on step three, and I just said, I'm surrendering my will and my life over to your care, God. Uh, I don't know what else to do. It's in your hands, and I'm going to listen for the next right thing to do. And, uh, you know, I had that fear, and... You know, if I if I hadn't worked a step four and kind of understood what was going on inside of me, this week would have been a total disaster. But I really uh, I let go of that fear because I because I trust that God's going to take care of me. And um, the very next day, I had an interview with another job, and the day after that, I had another interview with another job. Um, so it was very easy for me to say, "Look, God's really working out. He's uh, you know I'm." I'm surrendering, and he's taking care of me. And I was very positive, very upbeat. And then uh, the week started getting, you know, a little bit longer, and I'm not hearing back. And I did hear back, and one of the jobs I didn't get. And now we're also looking at uh, selling our house and moving in with our in-laws, which prior to doing a step four, I would have said, you know, no way. Just, you know, what a, you know, what a shot to my pride, a huge step back. I was proud of the fact that we had owned a home at such a young age, and now we're looking at uh, at, at moving in and not really knowing where I'm going. Um, but the bottom line is even now when it's a little tougher, um, I do know that what's going to get me through is just to surrender to God, um, to his care, um, just surrender everything, um, especially my fears and resentments because that's where, that's where everything hurts the most. Thank you. My name is Paul, sexaholic. Uh, 
everyone's been relating this to step four core defects. Uh, maybe I just did a poor step four or something. Anyway, it's only as I have been doing uh, steps seven and eight, you know, I've been in the program since 88. <laughs> My recovery date is five years ago. Um, <clears throat> slow learner, but anyway, what I have what I stumbled on just a couple of years ago after being in the program since 88, uh, well, it was after I, I raged against, um, wait, after I tore some guy's ass off on the phone that was questioning things about the program, who really hadn't gotten into the program, so I was setting him straight. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, and then after I hung up, it was like, I, I don't know if you've ever raged, but, you know, my hand was shaking. I say, like, oh, man. Anyway, so... Because I've been in the program a while, I, I, I was able to start dealing with it. I was looking forward to uh, uh, making amends to him when I saw him at the next meeting. Well, I did that, and of course, uh, I'm the one that, that tore into him, huh? So he just said, forget it. Well, it was only then that I was able, you know, that line about the wreckage of our past, I was able to see that I had raged for years at people. Uh, and, of course, I didn't see it that way. I was merely straightening them out. Uh, and so why people were fearful of dealing with me. I didn't know when it was going to, you know. And, and so I have found that, I don't know if that's a core defect, but it, it Damn well was was pretty powerful in there and 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 really made me defective in terms of dealing with people. But it took so many years for me to be able to finally see it. Uh, and I think being in the program and hearing people has just helped me a whole lot to be not afraid to see it and to deal with it. One of the things that just happened recently, you know. People send me emails, so I send little emails back, or I have an interaction. I'm going to send them an email. <clears throat> well, this particular, you know, two days ago, three days ago, I was getting ready to straighten somebody out again, uh, and and I typed the email up, and then there's a friend of mine I've been talking to a lot. I said, "This is what I'm planning on doing." Well. Of course, he doesn't get back to me. He's too selfish to get back to me with his time. You know, anyways, but I slept on it. And for some reason, you know, working the program, doing the reflection each morning, it was like, and I do a, 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 something I learned at the program. Every morning I do five things I'm grateful about. Just five. You know, and I just turn to the next page. I want a small little book so that there's not any room for, you know, five, more than five. And each day, and, and all of a sudden, it was like I thought of that email, and what hit me, you know, and this is, you know, kind of a core defect is the resentment, the anger, but the subtle jamming it to him, the subtle, you know, showing how he was at fault, and it was, it was, it was laced throughout the email. I mean, it was very subtle, but it was, oh, it was there, and I was putting him in his place. Uh, and I was like, you know, I don't, I don't need to send it. You know, and so the, the program has been so helpful for me to, to see things that I just have not been able to see. They've been so much a part of my life. Uh, with, you know, the anger and the resentment and the rage. Uh, but this was, this was rage in another form. You know, just, you know, I'm, I'm very, very, very hidden and, and very covert. Uh, so I'm a covert operative. Uh, and I have found that, I don't know if it's step four, but where I really was able to see it has been in, in steps eight, nine, and ten. Uh, and gosh, it, it really makes a difference in, in, in how I feel about myself. It's like, it's like instead of being down about discovering, it's like, you know, kind of grateful, like, oh my God, this is, this is what I'm dealing with. And it's, it, it, it feels so powerful. Thank you. My name's Adam. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. I had an opportunity to uh, go back in time and, and understand where uh, where lying came into my life, and specifically where lying tied to sexual conduct came into play and uh, 
having a chance to to see those two things come in uh, and together where um, as a child uh, I was exposed to uh, listening to my parents for for years uh, having sex and I would bang on the wall for them to stop and and you know they wouldn't stop so they'd come over after and tell me they were having a nightmare or uh, you know something was banging in the basement or something like that right so I thought, well, that's that's not right. I know what's going on. And for some reason, I did know what was going on, and I knew they were lying. I was given the opportunity to lie about it as well when I was about six years old, where uh, I experimented with a female cousin, same same age, who then explained things to her parents. Those parents confronted my parents, who asked me if I'd done what she said. <laughs> no, of course not. I was I was taught taught to lie, and that was uh, I was game on for me of lying about sexual behavior. And I hadn't related those two activities. Um, after being in the program for a year, uh, that clarity came to mind in sharing with my sponsor those two separate situations and having somebody ask me to, to really look at the start of it all because I hadn't done that thoroughly because uh, lying was such a, a big part of who I was. But that, that clarity really helped a lot. Thanks. Hi, I'm uh, Urban. Um, first time at the convention, actually. Um, I, I think for me, uh, when I was working step three, it took me a long time to really uh, understand step three because I, I felt I had the corner on God. And um, it, it was a particular day when uh, I was looking for a place to stay because of the re- consequences of my uh, acting out. I was uh, thrown out of where I was staying. And uh, I was in the Bronx with an umbrella, it was raining, and I was looking at these apartment windows and, you know, trying to get a phone number to call. And then I felt this, this, uh, I was already sober for about two months or three months, and I started having this feeling of self-pity slowly start to come in, you know, poor me, you know. And at that moment, I suddenly realized what you are going to feel right now is not true. And with that insight, I began to realize that the way I perceive reality was wrong. And it was not only at this present moment, but for the last 30 years of my life, the way I was looking at reality was wrong. And that self-pity was the beginning uh, of the other things that started to happen. Because with the self-pity, after that came the resentment. Uh, ang- angry with God because God was against me, angry with the world because it wouldn't cut me a break, angry with society, angry with, you know, all kinds of things. So when I went to step four, and initially when I started doing it, um, I actually felt heat coming out of my head. It was the weirdest feeling. I, and I, I just completely freaked out and I said, I'm not going to do step four, you know. Uh, but I began to realize that slowly as I started doing it, uh, the great liberation I found was that I was finally getting in touch with what was real. That all the years of covering up with the self-pity and everything else, if I, the motive to, for, for me for doing it now uh, is that I want to be in touch with the real. I don't want to spend another moment of my life living in the unreal. But I realized the core for me, what is very toxic for me now, what I cannot entertain is self-pity. Because the minute that seeps into me, I'm gone. Thanks. Good morning. I'm Phil. I'm a sexaholic. I grew up in a large family, and I think when I started the program, I realized that I was angry, that anger was a predominant emotion in me. I wasn't really sure why, but in my family growing up, um, there were specific emotions that you couldn't have. You couldn't be angry. You couldn't be afraid. You couldn't be lonely. You couldn't be depressed. You couldn't be um, uh, sad. Those were feelings that were either stupid or foolish to have. But in my family, uh, anger was modeled as rage. And it was modeled particularly by my mother. It was something that was 
when we didn't live up to the expectations, then the rage was shown. So um, as a consequence, the feeling was there, the resentment, the frustration, the loss of self-esteem, even the injustice that you would feel at times would bring about anger, but there was no way expressing it. So for years and years, I learned to repress that feeling and only at the wrong time and the wrong place and the wrong person, someone who was less powerful than I, they would become the victim of my rage. Um, the other emotion that I didn't just realize or just never wanted to admit was fear, and I think that was even more prevalent than anger. I was afraid of the world. I was afraid of the world outside of me. I was afraid of not being perfect or imperfections, and so consequently I created for myself an image of who I had to be. And when I didn't live up to that image, uh, I became afraid of people's rejection, um, people's criticism, people's judgment. And so because of that fear, I developed the habit of lying and being dishonest. And the dishonesty um, helped to protect me from destroying the image that I thought was being ruined either by people's judgments or people's criticism, or people's dislike. So I developed this whole system of defense for myself. And this program has been a tremendous opening, kind of a revelation to me, of these core defects that have just ruled my life. And it's really a wonderful gift to be a part of this. Thank you. Hi, I'm Charlie. I'm a sexaholic. I appreciate all the <clears throat> previous shares. I definitely can uh, can relate to them all, um, especially about lying and and uh, and rejection and trying to live up to someone else's expectation. I think for myself, uh, you know, growing up in my family, there was this perfectionist attitude that uh, I could never live up to. You know, I would make a mistake and and um, and get shamed for it. And uh, not having the right in my family to express myself, and like a previous share mentioned, and you know I couldn't express anger or rage or disappointment, sadness, depression, which I experienced um, probably when I was like 17 for the first time. Um, and not having that nurturing, loving environment um, is really taken a toll on me. Like I really never knew what I was entitled to, but I felt entitled to everything because, um, you know, my father was successful, so I felt that I have to be successful too. And um, make a long story short, repairing my life has been has been very difficult, and, and, um, and the the addiction to uh, to sex and to pornography has really, you know, manifest manifested itself in protecting me against my fear, um, fear of not being able to please and uh and get approval from my family. And this fear is uh is something that has been very difficult for me to deal with and I'm still dealing with it now. Um my sobriety has been very up and down, very shaky. Um still having a hard time facing my core defects. One of the good things I can say is that I've stopped pointing the finger at other people. Um, especially my family, and I'm starting to take responsibility, even though I still get this occasion where, uh, you know, I want to beat my family up emotionally, because that's what I feel like they've done to me. And, uh, so it's an ongoing process, and, uh, this is my, also my first convention, and I'm really appreciative of this being here. And I live in New York, so I had no excuse this time. But uh, good seeing everyone, and I appreciate it. Thanks. I'm Joe, recovering sexaholic. Hey, I came to this meeting because uh, we wouldn't have to talk about lust. <laughs> Thinking, thank God, as a meeting, I won't have to talk about lust. This is great. Um, but that's why I'm here. So, um, but I'm also here uh, because of the the whole issue of uh, the, the core defects for me right now is um, 
because I haven't really dealt with them, they're dealing with me. So that's that's kind of what's been happening. I um I can really identify with the whole idea that the whole the whole victim thing because that's as long as I feel like I didn't have a choice, I really felt like a victim, and I still do. I get boxed in. Um, there was an enmesh, there was enmeshment in my family uh, between myself and my uh, my mother. Um, that's my seat, but you can sit there for a minute. Uh, but uh, see, I had to set proper boundaries, and and just doing that was helpful. Now, get the hell out of my seat now. <laughs> wow, there's no way this could be scripted. I mean, you know, there's. And speaking, it, that's amazing. I was just talking about my mom, and this guy takes my. <laughs> um, but you know what? God does have a sense of humor, and I and I and this is proof. Um, and I think that's that's the big thing. I know there's a God. I mean, I know that. You know, by eventually, you know, and this still happened. Like Christmas time, I get a gift. I get a gift certificate. You know, I get a gift card from my from my mom, and she says, "You know, they're having coats on sale at Macy's." <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, "I couldn't believe." It. I said, "I don't need a coat." And uh, she was like, "Oh, okay." Um, now you may think that that's pretty minor, but um, it, it was just—it was just kind of a um, a step to say, you know, I really don't need you to be my quote mom anymore. Uh, but and and of course the, the 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 thing here, of course, is that it's 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 the not only the the, the mom, but it's the it's the wife, it's the family. Um, I'm getting, I'm getting, uh, you know, my wife and mom confused sometimes. That's pretty scary. Um, I, I want to put, you know, I want to put a, uh, you know, uh, you see the things on the side where you have break glass to in order to for a fire. There's a hatchet there. I want to put a shotgun in there and says, if I call you mother, break it and shoot me, because that's, you know, if if I ever I hear people and they get really old and go mother. Uh, and I'm thinking, oh my God, kill me. I mean, that's it. You know, if I ever did that. Um, but, you know, it's about Joe growing up. It's about Joe making choices. And, um, and also the whole thing about the, um, I really got a lot out of Stephen, uh, Stephen's share last night in the, in one of the meetings. It was a, a night owl meeting. Uh, he talked about lust, you know, wanting to find something, you know, that there's a reason we're here. There's a reason that this lust is, uh, really, it, it, it's, uh, I know it's my enemy and yet I know it's my ally because I know it's driving me in a certain direction. And for me, that's to create, that's to write. Um, and of course, if I can't be a great writer and I, I write screenplays, if I can't, if I can't be in Hollywood in about 20 minutes, you know, it's like, why bother? Uh, you know, it's the whole all or nothing thing. And I've gotten caught in the whole lot of that stuff. And it's like, I just need to, uh, I need to let go, uh, and trust. Um, I need to get out of the chair of self-pity. It's really, it's like Archie Bunker's chair. It smells terrible. You know, it's old, it's ratty, but I love to sit in it. I just love to sit there and feel sorry for myself. And, um, and that, that really is, um, in addition to resentment and rage and all that stuff, I think that for me it started with self-pity too. Um, and once I start going in that direction, just like has been said today, I won't stop. You know, I, I, it will just take me under. Um, so my hope, my experience tells me that, you know, that that is a lie. And it was really helpful to hear that that, you know, that it is truly a lie. Um, and when I'm experiencing that, uh, I just need to call it a lie and say, you know, this is something that's happened. This is a tape that I just need to destroy. I just need to uh, uh, to do the rewiring. I mean, I'm an addict. I'm I'm hardwired for that. I know it. I mean, that's you know, that's part of my programming. And yet, you know, I've got a lot of other programs in there now too. I've been connecting some wires and doing my best to really override that initial, you know, the, the initial programming. Um, but like the big event. You know, the grand slam, the big score. I, you know, I just need to do it every day. When I took my fourth step like 10 years ago, um, I felt embarrassed to hear about the fourth step today. I'm thinking, when did you do your fourth step, Joe? I'm thinking, I can't remember. I'm not even sure who I took my fifth step with. You know, I can hardly have a recollection of that. And it's like, I think I need to do this again. I think I need to get back and really to do it on a daily basis. So thanks. I'll keep coming back. Thank you.
I'm Neil. I'm a sexaholic. Everybody keep an eye on my seat for me. (laughs) (laughs) I learned early in life that I was not adequate. I had uh, a learning disability where I could not spell for, for love or money. I spent my whole grammar school life being tutored in spelling. It was like trying to teach me how to fly. It didn't work, but nobody at that time understood that you just can't do this. No, no, if you practice hard enough, if you would really try. I mean, I was called a late bloomer because I wasn't blooming in the school system. I was kind of wilting. Uh, and I wasn't that I was dumb. Uh, I was, everybody knew I was smart, but I just wasn't doing anything. Well, in order to not feel like I was a total failure, I went into a fantasy world. And in my fantasy world, I built up this image of myself as really being very competent and able to do anything. I, I felt in, I convinced myself that I could do anything in the world. But because I knew I could do it already, I didn't have to. So I never tried anything. I never put myself out there on the line because way back in my mind, I, didn't, I guess I knew I was going to fail if I did, but I I convinced my mind that I didn't have to do it. Oh, well, I don't have to compete because if I did, I would win. So, really, I mean, if you know that, you don't have to do it. And if you don't have to do it, you're not going to fail. Well, that's where I was going in life. And so then when I got out of the school situation... I didn't want to try to push in life or try to grab what I wanted or what I needed in life. I just sort of drifted in my life. And I drifted into this occupation, and I drifted into doing that, and I drifted into lusting, and I drifted into voyeurism because it was a lot easier to uh, be a voyeur and just... Just imagine how great and wonderful my sex life would be with this one or that one than actually putting myself out there and trying to have a relationship with somebody who was kind of a bit scary because they were of this other sex. Uh, so my life and my, my core defects all seem to center around uh, my feelings of inadequacy. And... I never realized this. I went through life in a fantasy world, and I was very happy in my fantasy world, I thought, until I uh, was discovered uh, spending all my my nights watching pornography on the Internet and trying to explain to my wife while I was, why I was too tired to do anything during the day. Uh, so now I'm trying to figure out myself and trying to deal with these core defects. And the program is helping me tremendously. But thank you for listening. Thank you. Hi, I'm Patrick, covering sexaholic. Grateful to be here. Yes, one of the things I've been dealing with and, and um, not realizing until recently is the, the fear of, of being alone. Uh, I was just focusing more on being alone and trying to make up for that by, you know, getting involved even recently with someone uh, in a sexual way, not to avoid the feelings. But I realized that's not the solution. Uh, but in the program, although I've been involved or been aware of it and in and out, unfortunately, for about 10 years or so, uh, as, as I've reached out to people just even over the last few months in the program, that certainly has subsided. So there is, uh, there is a solution. And, you know, I saw that as I was reaching out to others by making calls and accepting them as well, uh, that I was also reaching out 
myself to to do service even outside of the program. So that's made a big difference, and I'm grateful for everyone being here, and and I know that I'm home. So thank you. Good morning, everybody. I'm Steve. I'm a sexaholic. I am grateful to be here. Um, this is my first international as well, and um, I'm here uh, mainly because of a whole lot of uh, emotional acting out from some core defects. Um, and I, I like to share before about um, being told no, and that was it, and it was over. I, I think my wife would love it if I had that defect. Uh, <clears throat> I would be on the uh, complete opposite side of that. I I would be the one that uh, argued and battled things till the bitter end, um, you know, to 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 where um, clearly winning was no longer winning. Um, but that would not stop me. What I've seen working recently uh, in my fourth, fifth, um, and eventually sixth and seventh steps with my sponsor is that the most core defect for me is a lack of faith and trust. And for me, really, all the rest of it stems from that. And it was a lot of it, the realization for me of how that came about was looking at the manifestations and um, my relationships with people and, and resentments and problems that I had had. And then actually seeing that most of that derived from the fact that all of that came from a lack of faith and trust in my higher power. And it was just being acted out upon in pretty much everybody in my life. <clears throat> For me, fear is not a core defect. I think fear is a God-given feeling. I think we all feel it. I think it's part of being human. The problem I have is I live there. You know, I'm, 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 I'm comfortable there. I have spent a lot of time there. I got mirrored early on in my life, um, of, you know, of being there and, and really... It comes again from not being in any any place or being shown any way to have faith or trust in my higher power. That's a pretty fearful place. And so all the rest of it, selfishness, um, you know, uh, self-sufficiency, um, uh, you know, being um, um, uh, lying, you know, being un- uh, untrustworthy. Um, uh, you know all the all the other behaviors associated with that. You know, for me, come from the fact that not having a higher power in my life, not turning my will in my life over, not having that faith and trust that my God, my higher power, my God is going to take care of me. Then you know it's all up to me, and uh, I have to make these things happen. Being controlling and manipulative is a huge, huge part of the way I act out. And again, it, it's, it comes down to if I'm going to get what I want, if I'm going to get what I need, it's all completely and totally up to me. Um, to date, about 43 years of really trying my ass off to make that work, it hasn't. Um, and I am grateful for the awareness. I'm grateful for having gone through the steps. And, uh, you know, right, right now I'm <coughs> pretty... Uh, Vigorously working them with my sponsor. I'm, I'm into step eight and um, <clears throat> with an eye on step 12, uh, which is having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. Um, and that's coming on. It's coming on more and more. And um, I, I would view, for me, you know, how do my actions start reflecting that? Getting on a plane, spending a, a good 10 hours in the Atlanta airport, Missing a connection, etc. Um, but doing all possible to make sure that I got my myself here um, is an action of faith and trust. Uh, I believe that I'm supposed to be here, and um, that's different for me. And I'm grateful for that. Thank you. I think we're about at the at the hour. We want to. Okay. I just wanted to say a couple things. Uh, again, Carl, uh, recovering from lust. Um, I want to I want to thank you all for uh, this opportunity to present. I want uh, just to make a couple of points. One is that the big book has one theme that the author 
uh, the specific author Bill talks about and the other combined authors, that our troubles are of our own making. And I think that was pretty clear here. You could see how, however, things happen to us, but then we at some point have to take responsibility for them. And that's what we're going to try to do here in recovery. And whoever posed the question, I think the gentleman in the uh, sort of the, the, the purple color there, that was a, a well-posited question in the middle of our meeting because I think you heard the results of many people's trials with step four. And my experience with step four is that I need to continue the process. I can't quit when my head gets hot. You know, I can't quit when I get scared. I can't quit when I'm up against it. What you're going to find out at the end of those inventory sheets is that you're going to find out if you took a, a red pen and a marker, a yellow highlighter, you're going to find out patterns that rule, run, and reign your life. And you're going to get freedom when you take those to God as you understand him, her, or it in step six and seven and ask that power to come in and relieve you of how you're bonded and glued and run by those things. And then you're going to start to be afraid again because now what's going to happen to me? I don't have those tools. But the program gives you new tools. Talks about service. Talks about picking up a phone. You know, it talks about setting up meetings. That's one of the antidotes the big book talks about. That's your immunity, you know, your flu shot against going back to lust. Okay? You need, you need to get some new tools in your life. I mean, I call, when I'm home alone and I don't feel real well, I just get on the phone and start leaving messages. And then guys start calling me back. And suddenly I make it to the end of the day. I can't always get out. You know, but I can always reach out. Um, one of the chapters in the big book is also titled, There is a Solution. Okay? It leads us to a power that will help us move away from lust. Now, lust, too, is a, somebody talked about fear being a natural desire or a natural instinct. Lust is a natural instinct. We don't want it to not be part of who we are. God gave it to us. We just don't want it to run our life. I want to look at an attractive person or situation, and I want to say, that's nice. But I don't want to have it be so nice that I think about it for the next 12 weeks. And it obsesses in my mind, so much so that I need to go back there to revisit it. I want it to come in, and I want it to go out. And God gave us that gift. So, so lust is not something you want to excise out of your life or cut out. It's something that you want to have be a part of you. You won't be all of who you are if it's gone. It was given to you in the beginning. Just like fear, you don't want to be afraid when you get to the edge of a building. You want to say, oh, if I go a little further, I'm finished. So that's our end. We'll close, and thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for sharing. Um, <clears throat> remember that this is an anonymous program. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever rem reminding us to place principles before personalities. The stories you hear are told in confidence and should not be repeated outside. Please keep any names, addresses, and phone numbers you learn about in SA to yourself. And what we say here, let it stay here. Yeah. After a moment of silence for the sick and suffering inside and outside these rooms, let us close with the third step prayer.
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.